including from President Trump. Let's bring in our chief White House correspondent, John Carl. The tweets have begun. Not a tweet storm yet, though, John. <laughs> not, not surprising. He didn't think Kamala Harris did very well. Uh, but, George, I have to say, watching both of them, uh, what you saw was a contrast to Donald Trump. It was, in a way, like both of them uh, were against Donald Trump, at least in terms of demeanor and the way they presented themselves. Mike Pence started the debate off by saying it was a privilege to be on the same stage as Kamala Harris, commending her for making history, uh, hardly the approach that Donald Trump has, has taken towards Joe Biden. Uh, it was also uh, somewhat maddening at times to see both of them avoid answering uh, basic questions and, and, and not really seeing enough of a follow-up, uh, but especially Mike Pence. And anybody, as I know you have many times, who has interviewed Mike Pence knows that he has a, uh, an amazing ability not to answer a direct question, and you really have to press him. There was no real opportunity to do it here. I recall a, a coronavirus briefing back in April where the president marveled at Pence, saying that was one of the most amazing answers I have ever, ever seen because you spoke for five minutes and you didn't touch the question. That's basically the approach he took over yeah, and over again tonight. I want to bring that to Martha Raddatz as well. Martha, you've, of course, interviewed Mike Pence. You've interviewed uh, many of the people uh, in Washington every single day, every single week. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Provoking the Conversation podcast. Once again, it's Sean. Hope everyone's doing well. We just um, had an opportunity to watch the vice presidential debate yesterday. And um, I said this on Facebook too. That was something. Um, it was very interesting. I took some notes. I took some points. And I'll talk about those during this episode. Um, some other things I came across the news that we'll talk about. One of one of the more famous podcasts, because I love to look up podcast business, how the podcast industry is doing. Um, one of the more famous tobaccos in podcasting is starting to rear its head again. So I'll talk about that. Um, another shooting of an unarmed black man. Um, this black man was trying to help. Um, rest in peace, Jonathan Price. Um, I will tell you the good news first that his murderer is in custody. Um, and we'll talk about that story as well. Um, the White House stops vaccine talks. Um, Trump's decided to stop vaccine talks. We'll talk about that a little bit as well. Um, and then just recently today, it looks like the Michigan governor was almost kidnapped. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting week. It's been an interesting week to, to say the least. So hope you guys enjoy. Thanks again for listening. Um, Download us on Spotify. Leave us a review on Apple Music. Check out our YouTube channel. More more content to come on that way. Keep an eye on the page. And you guys, you know, let's get talking. All right. So I'm going to introduce a brand new segment to you guys. And it's going to be called Conversation Starters. You know, since this podcast is called Provoking the Conversation, um, I figured I'd add a segment about conversations. And these are things that I've observed from the internet or maybe conversations I've had from friends that will spark up some hurrah and some conversation, hopefully in your households or even just between each other. So someone posted this, and I'm going to give this man some credit. His name is Andre Vinny, and this went viral on Twitter. And the question he had was, why are black women shamed for wanting financial security in a relationship? Now, this was interesting. And 
I'm going to keep the topic on what he pointed out to, which is black women. But I think this is something that, you know, we could see at other women as well. So, again, he's asking, why are black women shamed for wanting financial security in a relationship? You know, my first thought of this is that, wait a minute, we're shaming black women for wanting financial security. But then I think about it, a, a lot of I would say men's response to a woman saying, I want financial security. I don't know why our generation instantly goes to gold digger. And I'll be honest, I've done that at times, but I don't think that's really what they're searching for here. Financial security in my eyes is saying that I want a partner, or in this case, if it's a woman, I want a man um, that actually can bring something to the table and provide some type of stability to our relationship. Meaning, if he can, and a lot of us hear this and we think of providing, you know, can a man provide? And, you know, I always see the quote of, well, it says it in the Bible that a man provide, you know, guys these days don't want to provide. And I got a few takes on this. The first thing is black women should not be shamed for wanting someone, wanting financial security in a relationship. Financial security is a reasonable thing that is usually in a lot of people's top 10 things that they want in a relationship, which is stability. And financial stability is part of that here, people. Um, I think there's a difference between wanting somebody who has the ability to provide or in the difference between that and having somebody who I want to pay for everything and I don't want to work. Because that's really where my mind goes first. Okay, you want financial stability. You want me to be a provider. You want me to be the king of the house or the man of the house. You want me to be the leader. What, my first question every time this comes up, what are you going to bring to the table? Some responses that I've heard, well, I'll take care of the kids. Well, guess what? We don't got kids yet. Now what? Well, I'll do this and I'll stay home and cook and I'll stay home and clean. Guess what? I don't need you to stay home and cook and clean because I can learn to cook my damn self and I can clean my damn self because my mama taught me how. So again, you know, and this is kind of where the conversation goes. You know, we think of that, you know, some women take this as of, they're not really asking for financial security. They're asking for you to pay for everything. And I think that's how a lot of men take it these days because we see that a lot of times. And this is also depicted in a lot of movies and media as well. That's how a lot of women think. But I, I think the genuine way of what women, black, and I'm just guessing here because I'm not a black woman, but what black women want and other women want in financial security is someone who's not a liability. You know, someone not necessarily 50-50, but someone, if we're in trouble, you can lead um, and we have the capital to get us out of that trouble. We have the capital that we can, you know, take care of our kids and take care of what we need to do without struggling. I don't think it's an unreasonable request. Um, and, and men, I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say, you know, are we at that level if a woman asks us this? So for an example, I'll just use myself because I'm here. If a woman asks me, can you financially, can you be financially secure for me? Or can you provide me financial security? Well, first of all, I'm going to ask her, what does that look like in your eyes? Is that me paying for everything? Is that me being able to pay for a certain percentage of the main bills? Is that me being able to just take you out as many times you want? Because I think different people have different situations here and different people are looking for different things. I mean, what I think about when a woman asks me financial security is paying for most of the major bills so that she has a little bit more free capital and also so she doesn't feel as strapped. We got to keep in mind here because we got to add some modernization to this. 
We live in today's world where the average man, especially in America, the average man makes more than a woman. And that's part of the wage gap and things like that and things that come up in politics. But that's just a fact. You know, I think we make, I think to every man's dollar, a woman makes 79 cents and or 75 cents. Now, some people may think that's not a lot of money, but over time, that is a lot of money when you start adding it up dollar over dollar. So I think it's not an unreasonable request, but let's be honest, women, if you're 22, 23, 24, 25, younger, even 28 like me, you, you're, if you're looking in a pool of men that are your same age, it's a good possibility you will not run into a man that is in a place to do what you may be asking him to do. Or he may not be able to because of where he's at in life, or that may not be a reasonable request because of the world we live in. You got to think about it here. Even though men make more than women, the way financial, the way financials are set up in today, and we hear about it in the news and all that, is that you can't survive off one income mostly. You need two incomes. Most people who live by themselves have a main gig and a side gig. Most people who are actually able to make it have your income and a partner's income, and they have to supplement them um, almost half and half, or you know, it can be tipped a little bit. It, it's going to be rare when you run into a male in today's age that just has a job where I could just pay for everything if I wanted to. You know, and most males in today's age, if they do do that, it's a struggle. He has no money. He has no free capital. And I don't think any man wants to live like that. Now, some women combat it saying, you know, well, that's the man's job. That's supposed to be the man's job. He's supposed to provide. You know, my dad, a big one I hear, my dad did that for my mom. Well, guess what? Your dad lived in a time where he could make enough by working in the mills or getting a job, getting, working for a company for years and years and they pay him compensation wise to the point that he could pay for everything. But it's not like that anymore. If you guys have been paying attention to financials, most successful black men or men in general have to go get degrees. That's just the lay of the land. You got to go a degree. My dad doesn't have a degree. He went to tech school. So he's not really in student loan debt unless it's for me. So that's a completely different era where they could do something like that and not be in debt. Now, of course, there's trade schools and things like that, and men can go alternative routes. But most men that work in corporate America or work for a company, which is how most of us have our jobs, um, can't ne- won't necessarily make enough because we're underpaid. You know, corporations don't care about paying us enough that we can actually live, and inflation and things continue to get more expensive. Now, this is not a cop out. This is not saying that women you should just be like, huh, all right. I guess I got to deal with a broke man. That's that's not what I'm saying here. Financial security, financial security shouldn't be just a man pay for everything. Financial security should be this man has the ability, or at least the determination, or at least the plan, to be able to gain enough financial capital to sustain or way of living, or to build to that if you're younger or you're willing to build with somebody. That's the way I look at this. Um, and men, if, if a woman says that one of the things I want out of a relationship is a man who's a hard worker, you know, goes to work every day, tries to find other ways to make his income. He's smart about his money. He invests. He tries to find new things. I don't think we should be thrown back or offended by a woman saying that. 
Now, there's a difference between a woman saying that and understanding where you're at in your life and a woman saying, well, my man should pay for every meal and he should pay for this and I shouldn't have to work. There's two different. Those are two different type of women. Those are two different types of people. And you got to kind of fill the person out. So I, I thought that was a great conversation starter for today. I don't think we should be shaming women who want men who finance, who give financial security, but it's all about, it's all about what is financial security to her. And you got to be honest with yourself a little bit too. You got to be honest with each other saying, can I actually give that to you? Because a lot of people get into these relationships or get into these entanglements, um, as Jada Pickett Smith said. And they can't deliver on what the person wants. Like for me, one of the things I do want out of my woman is that I want her to provide some financial security. I'm not working hours over hours so you could keep your ass at home. I'm not doing it. But that doesn't mean I'm not willing to work and let you stay home or let you do something or let you freelance while I pay majority of the bills. It's all about give and take. It's tipping the scale. Um, if I'm doing this, if I'm making all the money, what are you doing to counteract that and make sure that our household, our partnership stays afloat and it's productive? Because that's the thing, I think that's really what it is too. It's about balance. Because th- this situation could be flipped, could be easily flipped where the woman makes the more money and the man doesn't, but it's all about what is the man bringing? Because you hear those stories about guys, or excuse me, you hear those stories from women like, I had to carry this dude. He didn't have a great job. He didn't have, uh, you know, he didn't have enough capital, things like that. And he ha- I had to carry him. And I don't ever want to do that again. That's the wrong situation. I mean, again, at that point, I don't think that's a good situation either. And I think that's where this question stems from is where women, I just want to make it where, where this question stems from because they have to search for financial security because they dealt with dudes who don't bring that or don't even try to bring it. But anyways, hopefully you guys are having those type of conversations with your significant other. Um, hopefully you're having those type of conversations as you get ready to date somebody. Um, because it's just, it just works to be honest. Just be real with each other. And you know what? I notice when you're real with somebody, you'll be surprised by how much they can accept. Um, but ladies, my advice to you, if he's not there, if he's not there, like if he's not being able to provide financial security, the best thing to ask him is, does he have a plan? And net him on his plan. Because a man without a plan, that's a scary one. And I think that's where you run into those guys who just mutual off their girlfriends. I think that's where you run into that there. So ask him if he has a plan. Ask him to explain it a little bit. All right. So let's go ahead and dive into some of the topics we have today. So... I talked about this, you, you know, I'm not even going to start this segment like that. Let me start it like this. You ever have that one friend that just continues to not go away? Just doesn't go away. You know, you thought you got rid of them, but they come back. Um, so Call Her Daddy. Some of you may be familiar with the famous podcast, Call Her Daddy. It's sponsored by Barstool. Um, and I talked about this in one of my previous episodes, but just to kind of bring you back. There was a breakup between the two hosts of Call Her Daddy. Um, I believe one of his name was Alex and the other one was Sophia. They broke up over some guy, con- contract issues. Go back and listen to Business and Pleasure if you want to get kind of the full story in my description of it. 
But recently, Sophia, the one that would, let me tell you what happened here. What happened here was Alex actually took the contract. She took the contract. She's still with Barstool and she does call her daddy on her own. And Sophia, the other host, kind of went off into oblivion and we never heard from her again. Until now, Sophia has just announced and her full name is Sophia Franklin, and she's Sophia, She's at Sophia Franklin on Instagram. She's now starting a new podcast called Sophia with an F. So she's coming back. And um, the, the caption that I wrote on our page is that, you know, Sophia Franklin comes back. Um, again, if you remember, this was one of my previous topics that I really thought it was interesting because we really talked about when you're going into podcasting business or any business with your friends, you got to kind of realize who you're working with. Um, a lot of people had opinions of Sophia when this show, when the two hosts split apart, that she was the replaceable one out of the two. Um, there was a lot of bad blood around the internet between the Call Her Daddy fans saying, yeah, we don't need Sophia. And now she's back. And I'm interested to hear what she has to say. And I'm also interested to see how does she roll out this content? Because after the first three episodes of explaining to us her side of the car daddy story, which I really want to hear because I, I think it's interesting, not because I'm a gossip or anything. I just want to see what really transpired because you need both ends of the story. Um, what type of content she's going to have? Because for those of you who listen to Car Daddy, it's a raunchy podcast. You know, Alex Cooper, Alec, Alexandria, excuse me, Cooper talks about, you know, talks about sex you know, you know, hooking up with guys, the multiple guys she's dating. It's one of those type of podcasts. It's very entertaining. It's a very good podcast. It does numbers. Um, not really my cup of tea. I listened to a few episodes. I do think she does a really good job. Um, some people have a different opinion thinking her by herself gets a little annoying, but I'm going to save that one. So it's going to be interesting if Sophia comes on with her own podcast and does the same type of content. And is she going to go into a content war with <laughs> with, um, you know, Miss Cooper or the other host of Call Her Daddy. So I just think that's a really interesting dilemma. I don't, I don't know what's, I don't really don't know what's going to happen. I'm interested to see. So if you guys check out our new podcast, she did not pay me for advertising, but Sophia, if you get more listeners because of me, just send me a little check, a shout out, something, send me something. A hi would work, you know, something to get me a little bit more fans. Um, but I, I think it'll be an interesting listen if you've been following the Color Daddy saga. I, I mean, I'm hoping that it's some good content, and we'll see how that one goes. All right, so next topic here, I want to talk about the Jonathan Price shooting. So I mentioned earlier in the episode that Jonathan Price was an unarmed Af- African-American male um, that was shot. Um, so, and this was in Texas. So Jonathan Price, the, the story behind it was that Jonathan Price was going to break up a domestic dispute. So he was at a gas station. He was breaking up a domestic dispute. He got into a dispute with the mail and um, the police came. Then when the police came, Miss um, Jonathan and the police officer got into it a little bit. I don't think there was any physical confrontation. I think they were just arguing. I don't think they, I don't think they got into a fight or anything. Um, and then the police officer shot his taser at Jonathan. So, and 
so from that, when you ever get shot with a taser, you, you know, you convulse, your body moves in ways you can't control it. And the police officer is stating that he felt like his life was in danger because Jonathan lunged at him. But um, after shooting the taser, which I don't think I really believe, I think it was just a reaction from Jonathan's body. And from there, he shot him. Um, Let me pull up the article here. All right, so the article says, a Texas police officer stands charged with murder and shooting of 31-year-old black man after a preliminary investigation determined his actions were unreasonable, authorities said. Officer Lucas made contact with a man later identified as Jonathan Price, who was reportedly involved in the disturbance. Officer Lucas attempted to detain Price, who resisted in a non-threatening posture and began walking away. Lucas used his taser and then fired his weapon, hitting Price. Price died at the hospital, according to the statement. The preliminary investigation indicates that the actions of Officer Lucas were not re- objectively reasonable. Um, you know, it looks like Price did resist, did refuse repeated instructions and physically resisted. Um, that's when Officer Lucas deployed his taser and continued to give Mr. Price instruction. Mr. Price resisted the effects of the taser and attempted to take a, take it away from Officer Lucas. That's what this is what Officer Lucas is saying. Um, yeah, this one's messy too. I, I don't know all the details. I, I don't know exactly what happened. I just there has to be a better way of handling these situations. This guy was unarmed. I mean, he, he, he was unarmed. I mean, I don't, underst- I don't understand how an unarmed man is that much of a threat to a man with a gun and a taser. I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at this objectively. I really do. Because I understand right now, our country doesn't need people on the left or the right. They need objective thinking. But it, it's still kind of, a mystery to me of how unarmed black men can continue to be shot. If you wanted to arrest him for being part of the disturbance, okay. It sounds like to me from all the articles that I read, he was trying to do the right thing. And it sounds like to me from some of the ways they described Jonathan Price, he was actually a pillar in that community. He was a football coach. People loved him. So obviously I don't think he was out there doing anything criminal-like. I just think he was in the wrong place at the wrong time trying to do the right thing. And he ended up losing his life which I don't think is fair. Officer, this is one of the things I push for for police reform. We need to find a better way to deal with these situations because what they're doing is no matter if it's the defendant or the person who's involved or the, the criminal, whoever, the black man, whoever it is, is somehow being blamed and being considered dangerous when they don't have a weapon because the officer doesn't know how to handle the situation when it becomes escalated to, to keep a person alive. And that's just the truth. And why is that happening? Because they lack training, because the system is not built to keep people alive. You know what system's built? As soon as you feel threatened as an officer, you could shoot him and we got you. Unlike this one, he was charged with murder because they recognized that he just shot Jonathan Price, and he did not need to be shot. He should have been detained if he resisted. I'm fine with that. I'm all for the law. You know, maybe arrested. I don't know exactly what happened, but he should still be here. And that's the problem. 
a lot of these men should still be here to be able to tell their side of the story. But we won't ever hear Jonathan's price because this officer decided to play judge, jury, and executioner. And that's what needs to stop. That's what needs to stop in this country with the shooting of black men. It's not about resisting. It's about the officer who is the trained professional who needs to take control of the situation without putting someone's life in danger. And if the officer cannot do that, we need to give them resources or we need to bring in other resources like social services, psychologists, other people who can help with that. Because obviously these officers aren't built to handle these situations because they just keep killing people. How many times do we have to go through this to learn this lesson? I don't get it. They keep shooting people and they're like, oh yeah, officers are fine. No, there's something systematically wrong with how the police operate. Why do you think people are in the streets saying defund the police? Because they do shit like this. Now I'm for reform, but if this keeps coming across my screen, I'll be out saying defund the police too, because obviously they're not working to make the situation better. They obviously don't care if another, if another black man gets shot. And this is nationwide. But this, but until change happens, this will continue to happen. I'll probably be back next week or in the next couple of weeks about another black, unarmed black man being shot. And then a couple of weeks are passed and another one. Until a person in leadership or leadership itself decides that there's something fundamentally wrong with the way police officers interact with the public and, and decide to change the way that is, we will continue to hear these messages. I won't ever stop talking about them because these are my brothers. These are people that look like me. I want them to be remembered for not the violence they had or maybe not the incident, but for who they are. Because Jonathan Price, from what I've read, it was a wonderful person. Look him up. If you follow Sean King on Instagram, he, he talked about Jonathan Price beautifully and what he did from the community and what people thought about him. That's how these men should be remembered, but they should still be here. They should still be here. Their moms should be able to hug them. Their wives and girlfriends should be able to see them. Their daughters and sons should be able to see them. And I should not be on this damn podcast talking about his life. We should be talking about how he's still here. And that's the bottom line. So you do with that as you wish. All right, so... Kind of moving away, and we'll talk about the, the vice presidential debate. Don't worry. I didn't forget about it. Um, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, Jonathan's um, memory was set and that I, I did take an opportunity to talk about it. So what we'll talk about next here is let's talk about how the White House blocked um, COVID, COVID um, vaccine talks. So let's go ahead and take a look here. So next subject, if you guys don't know, um, I think I mentioned this last podcast, again, Donald Trump caught COVID-19. Um, and there's another thing about Donald Trump I'm going to mention. So Shade Room reported this, but I'm sure other news media outlets did as well. According to the New York Times, the White House has reportedly blocked new guidelines for the coronavirus vaccine. So let me just read this post here. Top White House officials are blocking strict new federal guidelines for the emergency release of a coronavirus vac vaccine, um, objecting to a provision that would almost certainly guarantee no vaccine could be authorized before the election on November 3rd. According to people familiar with the approval process, 
via the New York Times. According to reports, this is part of a battle between White House officials and federal agencies who are on the front line dealing with. Um, and that's where the article clicks off. I think I've said enough. Here's the thing. Um, we, we, we know why they blocked it. They blocked, they blocked those vac- they, they blocked vaccine, um, those extra vaccine requirements because they want a vaccine done. Trump wants to say, I have a vaccine before the election. That's his Trump card. <laughs> that's an oxymoron, or that's a funny. Yeah, Trump's Trump card. Yay. Um, it's very simple. Trump doesn't have a leg to stand on, really. And I'll talk about this a little bit about the vice presidential debate, but the last two debates did not help Trump. Now, some of you may say, well, it didn't really help Biden, but Biden was already in the lead. Trump has so much ground. Imagine it like this for all my football fans. It's like being down in the third, in the fourth quarter, 21 nothing. What do you need to do down 21 nothing? You need to score points and you need to make stops. Now, here's the thing. Let's just say, let's say the Biden campaign is the Steelers. Let's say the Trump campaign, or let's just say the Falcons. The Falcons are down 21 nothing. Okay. Trump is down 21 nothing. Trump needs to score some points. Trump's offense is bad. They can't even get a first down. Maybe they got a couple first down, but they've been having a punt. Now, Biden's, which I'm using as the Steelers here, um, their offense has been struggling too. They haven't really scored any points, but because both offenses are struggling and their defenses are doing enough, it's been a stalemate. Now, what happens at the end of the fourth quarter if it's still 21-0? Biden wins. The Steelers win, in my analogy. So that's really all Kamala and Biden need to do to win this election is just hang on. Don't mess it up. Most voters have already decided who they're voting for. And that's what they were saying about the vice presidential debate, that Pence didn't do enough to move the needle. Pence needed to go in there and change undecided voters' mind, and he needed to change some people that have already made up their mind about voting for Biden to bring them over because they're down by that much. I don't know exactly what the poll said. I don't know. The poll guy on the TV was like, they're down 15 or seven points here and six points here, and it doesn't sound good. I don't know that much about polling numbers, but it doesn't sound good. It it sounds like they're down 21 nothing. That's what it sounds like to me. It's like, oh, they're not going to win unless they make a dramatic comeback. And the COVID vaccine is like, using another football analogy, it's your, it's your big play. It's your deep pass. It's one of the last things you got left in your back pocket to win the election. So we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. Um, yeah, we'll just see how that one goes. I, I have mixed opinions about this. But before we go ahead and talk about, and I'll leave the vice presidential debate for my last topic I'll talk about today. Let's go ahead and quickly talk about the news that kind of just broke on my, on my Facebook, which is 13 men have been charged in alleged plot to kidnap the Michigan governor. I believe her name is Gretchen Whitmer. So this was just article was just written at, it was just updated. It was written earlier at 12 15 PM and it was just updated at 5 55 PM, which is 5 59. So more than, so I'll read you a little bit from this. More than a dozen men were arrested on federal and state charges in connection with alleged with an alleged fraud plot to kidnap Michigan's Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer, 
authorities said Thursday, which today. Six were apprehended and charged with federal crimes, while the other seven were picked up on state charges. All of the member, all are members of two militia groups who were preparing to kidnap and possibly kill me, Rick Myers says. Um, in an address forum, um, excuse me, said in an address from Lansing late Thursday afternoon following the arrest. Uh, that, this is crazy, guys. They were, they were going to kidnap a governor? I don't know how they was going to pull that off, but I haven't really read this story too much, but I just want to kind of paint a picture here. Um, that governor from Michigan is Democrat. There's been a little bit of a, if you've been paying attention a little bit, there's a little bit of a war on Democrats. You know, there was the also um, QAnon thing that came out. QAnon is a kind of like an internet group. And they've been saying things like Democrats are part of this child trafficking ring. Um, and it's been a lot of news about that. I don't know. I haven't really researched it. I haven't really looked into it. But this is one of the things I've been kind of like coming up really. And it's really been like a war on Democrats. Um, I, I really think Trump getting elected brought every type of conspiracy theories out. I, it's just crazy how the world has changed in the last four years. Not blaming Trump for it, but I really think he kind of just him saying what he's been saying and him being personality that he has. I just think it kind of helped bring them all out. I thought that was crazy. Uh, we'll keep an eye on this. I'm pretty sure these men are going to jail and they're pretty much done. Um, but, you know, these government officials, man, they put more on the line than we think they do, man. They, their lives are in danger. They're constantly under surveillance. You know, thank God she's okay. Um, thank God that these men will be brought to justice because no one deserves to get kidnapped. Okay. Yeah, you don't like what she does, but you don't deserve to kidnap her. And I don't know if that was the exact reason, but I don't think she deserves that. All right. The big one here, vice presidential debate. I'm just going to say this once and only once. My main takeaway of this debate, just, just hear me out here. Hear me out here. No, 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 hear me out here, guys. Both candidates are really, really, really good at dodging questions. They both dodge so many questions. And look, let me get this right. This is my opinion of Kamala Harris and Vice President Pence. Kamala Harris, she's tough, she's gritty, she's a former prosecutor, she's a black woman. There's a lot of things I like about her, but her her polit her politician history is not the greatest. I do think her being paired with Biden is the right choice, not only to get votes but also for some of the things that I, I think they believe in the same things. And I'm not mad at the choice. Now Pence. Pence is the devil with a sweet voice. Like, if you watch the debate, Pence is such a, he comes off to me as a sweet talker. Like, I'm really, um, I'm, I'm really a devil, but, uh, you know, I'm a devil that hides in sheep clothing. Because like, when he talks, he comes off as non-combative, at least for the most part. But when you, when you hear him talk, you can kind of hear the evil coming out. Not the evil, the evil. You can hear the evil coming out a little bit. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're, not as, you're not as nice as you come off. He's Trump. He's Trump, but if Trump, had, if Trump had the wherewithal to think, if I act nicer, I'll get more out of people. So Pence scares me. Pence really does, because he has some of the same ideologies. He, he believes in some of the same things, but he's nicer about it. And that's scary because he'll really, really trick some people into believing it. 
I do think both of them make some good points on the debate. I do think both of them avoided some questions that I really wanted to answer. Um, with Kamala Harris, Pence, com- he really he really attacked her about the green bill and she never answered. And that's something I wanted to know about. I'm like, Kamala answered a question, but she never did. Politicians, they avoid questions. I get it. Um, with Kamala, it was about coronavirus. And that's been kind of Biden's and Kamala and Kamala's um strategy to kind of hit Pence and Trump with, yo, you've handled this coronavirus stuff like crap. What are you gonna do to fix it? And they don't have a plan from what I've heard from Pence and Trump. So those are kind of the sinker points. Um, but they were both things that both parties brought up that they just, you know, they never answered the question. So some of the some of the points that I got here. Um, Pence repeatedly said that Kamala was like lying throughout the thing. I didn't fact check anything she said, but I'm pretty sure she did lie in some cases because I just knew. But there were also a lot of points about what Pence said about Biden's campaign, such as, you know, he wants to raise taxes and things like that. He, He wasn't lying, but he didn't tell the whole truth. Biden has said over and over again, I want to raise tax for people who make over $400,000. You know, rich people. We're talking rich, rich people. Not even you people that make six figures, $400,000. Now, will he will he um, follow up on that? I don't know. We don't know what none of these candidates is going to do once they get in the White House. So stop. we need to stop acting like we know. Um, but that was something that was actually false because Biden has come out and say, like, I'm not talking about taxing people like me and you. you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about taxing rich people. And he said he said that since the beginning of his campaign. At least that's the way I interpret it, unless you guys know something I don't. The other thing that kind of came up, again, about coronavirus, you know, Kamala pushed Pence like, what are you guys going to do, you know, to continue to maintain this or to do better at, you know, surviving it? And Pence started talking about, well, the American people have sacrificed enough. And I'm like, American people sacrificed? I don't quite get that one. Because, yeah, we've sacrificed, but we've only had to sacrifice so much because of yours and Trump's. And, and just to, if you guys didn't know, Pence is the head of the pandemic response team. So he's probably direct, more directly responsible for where we're at now with the pandemic than Trump is. And he just... He put it like, okay, the people did a great job staying indoors and sacrificing. They shouldn't have to do that anymore. And some people may agree with him on that, but it's not about us sacrificing. It's about what are you going to do so we don't have to do anymore other than try to push a vaccine that's not clear by medical professionals. Kamala said very clearly, and um, this is the part where I'm actually, I'm going to play this clip for you guys of Kamala saying um, what she thought about the vaccine. If the Trump administration approves a vaccine before or after the election, should Americans take it and would you take it? If the public health professionals, if Dr. Fauci, if the doctors tell us that we should take it, I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us I should t- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. So you heard so you heard there that she said, like, I'll take the vaccine as long as Trump, you know, if Trump says I take the vaccine, then, you know. I'm not taking it, but medical professionals, yeah. And I, I agree, same sentiment here. Like if medical professional says, fine, I'll take it, sure. As long as they can tell me side effects and things like that, and they dumb their due diligence. But if Trump just comes out and says like October, what is it, October, like October 20th, 
we got a vaccine, guys. And none of the medical professionals are like, what are you talking about? It's still in the preliminary stages. I'm not taking that shit. And I don't want anybody who listens to this podcast to be dumb enough to take that shit. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, Pence kind of Pence kind of blamed the Biden campaign for the fear of taking the vaccine um, and kind of blamed him like, hey, you're kind of holding up progress here because, you know, you're, you're making everybody feel for taking the vaccine or at least being part of the trials for the vaccine. Um, I think that's reasonable. There has been some fear mongering coming from the Biden campaign, but we have the right to fear because we don't know what's going to happen. You guys, the Trump administration has shown really nothing to me that they can really handle this situation. There's other things that came up, such as they talked about fracking a lot. You know, Pence said that the Biden campaign is going to get rid of fracking. Carmela completely denied that. I don't know if one of them said it or not. That's one of the things I do want to follow up on. There was also some things about how Biden handled the swine flu when part of the Obama administration. Um, even though the swine flu did not become as bad as the coronavirus, Pence made the point that if it wasn't bad as the coronavirus and it did kill people like the coronavirus did, um, you guys would have been just as much trouble as we, we have. I don't think so. I think if it was as deadly, I think Obama would have handled it better. I think you guys just tried to keep the economy up. So I kind of, you know, didn't really pay attention to him there. That's from my opinion, from what I've observed. Um, you know, when he was, when Pence was asked about the economy recovering, you know, um, he, he stated that he talked about tax cuts. He, he avoided that question. Let's see what else I got here. And that was really it. It was, there was a lot of maneuvering and dodging from them too. It was a better debate. I will say that it wasn't screaming all over each other. It wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't back and forth. Um, but there was a lot of question dodging. So it really didn't help either party, which means <clears throat> to me, excuse me, it didn't help Trump. Didn't help Trump at all. I don't think he got anything out of it. Neither did Biden, but Biden really doesn't need to. We have a 21 nothing lead, guys. You can kind of coast a little bit as long as you don't let them come back, which is basically what Kamala did. She did a good job playing defense. Let's make them putt, you know, for another football analogy. Now, two of the things that kind of stood out that don't have to do with politics from the, <laughs> from the debate. Um, Kamala Harris um, repeatedly putting Pence in check. She told him, look, I'm speaking. You ain't going to speak over me. For all of you who have ever interacted with, I'm just going to say this, with a black woman and you try to interrupt her, that tone and the look she gave him, I felt that in my own house. I was like, that's the look my mom gives me when she's mad. And Pence kept trying to go. I said, don't do it, bro. Don't do it. She, she go, she go. I thought it was great. Again, Pence multiple times during this debate, he tried to talk over. He used extensive time. Again, the moderator did not do their job, but good luck trying to moderate these people. Um, and she told him, hey, I'm talking. Be quiet. Not be quiet, but hey, I'm speaking. And I was like, okay, she's fine. I have no problem with her standing up for herself, especially if he wants to go over time and talk over her. The other th big thing that came up was, <laughs> not big thing, but it was interesting and it made for a funny moment was the fly that landed on um, Vice President Pence's head. That was great. 
Because if you go on Twitter, there was just, someone made a Twitter account about the fly. There were videos this morning about the fly. There were memes about the fly. Just Google Vice President Mike Pence. This Google Pence fly and you will laugh for hours. It was great. It was hilarious. It was a welcome laugh. I'm glad we got that in there. Um, so yeah, that's my opinion on the vice president debate. I'm not going to give you a full breakdown. I'm not a politician. I'm not a political person. I'm learning more about politics day by day, but this is, it was something that it was, that was something that that's pretty much my, it was okay. I don't feel great about how it went for Biden. I don't feel great how it went for Trump. Um, yeah, let's, um, uh, Let's try this again. Let's um let, let's not do this again, guys. All right, so that's all I got for you guys this episode. Once again, thanks for listening, guys. Um, again, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Leave us a rating, a review. I really appreciate you guys listening to the show once again. Um, guys, go vote. Please go vote. Please make your voice heard. I don't care who you're voting for. I mean, I do care, but I don't. Because at the end of the day, this is your civic duty, and it is something that is made available to you after 18. For my African-Americans, people died so you could vote, so just take the opportunity to do that. For everyone else, again, there are people who fight across um, the world, you know, soldiers and things like that that fight across the world that fight for our freedom so we can have a right to vote. There are people that, for anybody in this country, that have given their lives so we can do this. So just keep that in mind. No matter if you're voting for Pence and Trump or you're voting for Kamala and Biden, it doesn't matter. Go out and vote. Let your voice be heard. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, I love you. If no one's told you that today, be safe. Wear a mask. And once again, guys, keep talking.